Welcome to the third episode of the Facilitator Missionary Podcast. This podcast has been created to host discussions of relevance to Global Partner M's in Phase 4 and 5 fields. My name is Christy Van Steenberg, Global Partners M serving in Central America. I will be your host for our time together. Today we will be briefly talking about a great resource book, The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer. This book provides us with tools to help each of us as we navigate cultural contexts in our areas of service and as we transition to facilitator missionaries, guiding leaders to be part of the Everywhere to Everywhere movement. Before COVID-19 began canceling plans, the African, Caribbean, and Ibero-American areas were planning to have a combined area retreat. This would have been happening last week, actually. And we spoke with Dr. Elizabeth Drury about being one of our guest speakers. It was clear to us that she is passionate, experienced, excited, and prepared to be a part of equipping M's with tools that will help them to be successful in their individual context. Since we are unable to meet in person, Dr. Drury has graciously agreed to meet with us in a couple new contexts, including our podcast today. Dr. Elizabeth Childs Drury helps individuals and organizations navigate cross-cultural dynamics in global, diverse, or changing contexts. After graduating from Southern Wesleyan University in 1993, she completed a linguistics master's at USC and an intercultural education PhD at Biola. She has lived and worked overseas, trained hundreds of teachers for international ministry appointments, directed Europe programs for Christian Tent Making Educational Services Agency, and authored numerous articles, workshops, university courses, about intercultural effectiveness and partnership. She is ordained in the Wesleyan Church and she has served in four multi-ethnic churches. She teaches for Wesley Seminary, Concordia University, and others, all while serving at SWU in various ways. And she chairs the district board for clergy development in the Shenandoah district. She and her husband, Scott, met at SWU and have been married since 1992. They have four wonderful sons, love road trips, and live once again in the SWU area. Dr. Drury, thanks for being willing to join us today. We're super excited. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. So tell us a little bit about how you got to this point of teaching about culture. Well, it's been a fun journey. Um, I lived overseas a few times in different parts of the world and was exposed to the kind of work that GP does and really felt called to that. Wasn't really sure how that was going to happen in my life and um, was really excited when we had an opportunity to serve overseas with an educational services agency uh, that sent Christians overseas to teach in high schools and colleges. So we were there. Um, That was eye-opening. We then came back. I worked in the home office and trained others to go and do the same kind of work and um, really awakened to that kind of teaching as as an important ministry at that time. And then we had the opportunity to serve in some multi-ethnic churches. And I started seeing then how these faraway culture principles were they, they illuminated the nature of some of the struggles in multi-ethnic churches and offered su- suggested solutions 
for those kinds of churches. So I started thinking about intercultural ministry as not just something far away, but right here at home. And wow. then I started my PhD studies at Biola in the School of Intercultural Studies there, a very um, missiological program, and um, started seeking the Lord for what I should what I should do and how does this connect with ministry? I was called to ministry, and the Lord just made it made it plain to me to help the church do intercultural ministry better. Um, he'd shown me how needed it was, and he was giving me tools to do it and increasing opportunities. And so I was just very thankful for that opportunity. Then we've continued to serve in some multi-ethnic churches, and the uh, teaching at Wesley Seminary came up in the context of all of that, and that has been just a wonderful opportunity to, to put all of this experience and education um, right in a to deliver it in a practical way to people in ministry at home and abroad yeah well and i know that you've also been involved in some ministries just with the homeless people and a whole nother subculture of society and so that's just been a blessing to watch you as you serve that but i'm sure you've yeah, that, learned even more that did test some of my theories you know everything works out great um, in some environments, and then then you, the Lord, I felt like that was part of his curriculum for me, was to to look at the dynamics of socioeconomic and educational differences wow. um, and apply some of the same principles there. So great, thankful for that. As you know, our current theme in these podcasts is facilitation, and you know something about that. Would you talk to us just a little bit about your knowledge base and what you've learned about facilitation? Sure. I had the opportunity at Biola to study with Tom Steffen, who's the author of the, the book you've been looking at, The Facilitator Era. He is, uh, that my experience learning from him was enormous. I can't even, I could not possibly overstate that. It was like the, the movers came into my mind and took all the furniture out, put down new carpet, painted the walls, rearranged the furniture, and I got another start. So, his ideas about facilitation, um, I, they are so consistent with everything else he teaches. So from him, for example, I, I took a cross-cultural leadership course, and it's not surprising that one of his core texts in the cross-cultural leadership course was the power of followership. Mm -hmm. And then I took church planting models and strategies from him, and it wasn't surprising that one of his core principles in cross-cultural church planting is as this idea of beginning with the end in mind, you know, and going in with an exit strategy from the very beginning and not planning to stay there forever. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't surprising then to me when in 2010, he was putting together this facilitator era book and the principles that are in the, this concept of facilitation our followership is a big one that we are not uh so he he sort of sets up this whole talk of facilitation in narrative form which is classic stefan also and and he says you know back in the past in the former three eras he's kind of identified four eras of missions and this current era he calls the facilitator era so the the former three eras he says you know are characterized by this uh, by what he calls pioneer missions which mm -hmm. is that you're going to go overseas. He he would talk about the image of missionaries packing all their belongings in a casket 
and go and they plan to die there. They're going to go to the field. They're really going to pour out their lives, the rest of their lives right there on the field. Um, and they don't plan to come back. You know, this is sort of back in a time when air travel was not sure. the thing, you know, right. um, but he contrasts that with what is happening now, which is more of a the facilitation. This idea implies that you are, that the vision is not just that you have a vision for what's going to happen, but that the people, let's say overseas, or even right here in our communities in the U.S., like let's say a, a Salvadorian pastor here in a U.S. city, let's just say, a facilitation approach assumes that the same spirit of God that's at work in you um, is also at work in, in reached people in these other places. Sure. And what could they do to fulfill that vision that the Lord has planted in them if they had someone to come not alongside them, as we like to say, but to come underneath them and to support them and help them in doing this thing the Lord has planted in them to do. Sure. So facilitation ends up being a short term, not always, not always short term, but generally speaking, facilitation is a much shorter term um, involvement of, of a foreign person in the work of another. And so Stefan's idea, one way that he says it, that I think is really exciting is that it's not about going to unreached people as much as it's about going to reach people whom the Lord has already given a vision to to reach the unreached that are within their kind of a near cultures to them. So it's a far culture for us, but a near culture for them. So um, that's exciting. So instead of spending many years in like language learning and getting it all the nuances down just perfectly, instead of that, it is no, let's work with some people that we can communicate with who already have the linguistic and cultural connections with this other group mm. and we're going to help them do that ministry um and that's a reaching the reached to reach the unreached is kind of the way he says it wow he talks about um you know uh, followership and that's really kind of the rub we we really do like to we like to get equipped we have this idea that we're going to go to school or training or whatever. We're going to get equipped to go and be leaders everywhere in all kinds of intercultural ministries. And kind of the whole the facilitation really requires that we have a different attitude and that we and that we come and follow and support. He has in, in his book, um, I believe it's 16 case studies. And one of them, I would say my favorite, I think is like maybe number 14 or something like that. But it's about a church in Minneapolis that supports a group in Peru. And so I don't remember all the details of the story, but the, the pastors got to know each other and could communicate well with each other. And this church in Minneapolis had, if I remember correctly, carnival workers, like there's a, maybe they, they make the, like the dunking booths and the popcorn machines sure. and the trapezes and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, in that spot. So they had a lot of workers in that church who already did that. And then there's this, this church down in Peru that was like, you know what, we really want to have a, we have these evangelistic things every summer and we have a, a carnival and we really need something that's going to get the local po uh, population's attention. Yeah. And so these pastors agreed that, okay, we folks in Minneapolis who know the fair and carnival industry, 
are going to go down there and we're going to put on the bling and all the bells and whistles. We're going to do that. And you are going to tell us what to do, where to set up, all that stuff. We're going to be behind the scenes. We're just going to attract the crowd and support you in whatever way. And then your people will be doing evangelism in their own native language and everything. So that's a beautiful picture of facilitation. We saw this, for example, when World Hope went and helped in Haiti after, uh, after the earthquake. And um, a lot of short-termers went over who, were, who could do construction. Yeah. Um, but they went over to follow the lead of the locals. Um, that, that's sort of facilitation. Sure. And um, we see this in, in other ways. In Southern California, there's a group that would come and do a, uh, in, in, uh, in Azusa, a group that was from, I think there was a group back in the 70s called Peaches and Herb or something like that. Okay. And so they, they're Christians yeah. and they would sponsor the bling in the city and invite all the local churches to work together to do the outreach, the evangelism, the ongoing discipleship and connection. So one summer they had a, a big uh, giant in like 115 degree heat. They had a, a big uh, snow mountain right in the middle of Azusa and they had people, you could come and sled on the snow mountain. And anyway, that's the nature of facilitation. Wow. So, so I love that. I'm thrilled for GP. Yeah. We're, we're excited and learning so much and you know, it's never, pioneering is still important, but there's this wrestling with pioneering and facilitating and what does that mean for global partners and how, not just global partners, but as we see other areas creating their own sending agencies. And so how do we support even that? So, but like, I love that facilitating connects as well with what you're going to be teaching us about upcoming in August um, with the culture map and and this this whole idea that Aaron Meyer has. So could you, in our last few minutes together, just tell us a little bit um, about the workshop that you're going to be hosting and just give us a, a, a brief synopsis maybe or get us excited about what is the culture map? What what does that mean? How can it help us? How can we use it? Yes, I'll be happy to. So uh, obviously facilitation uh, requires trust and communication. These are so very important. And and by the way, this notion of facilitation isn't saying that you check all of your discipleship and Bible knowledge and all that at the door. No, for not sure not. by any stretch. For sure it's not. just that it requires a different level of partnership. And I guess that's kind of the key word um, interdependent partnership with this host culture. So partnership, uh, the communication demands of partnership are enormous yeah. and, and the trust to, to forge trust, you really have to understand each other, but there are these cultural principles and dynamics that get in the way, especially if you don't see them coming. So Aaron Meyer writes this book, the culture map, and it's been in a couple of different editions. It's, um, it is a wonderful tool. So what she does is she she takes some principles that have been around since the 50s and repackages them in a way that you can use easily. So I, I had heard about the book, I had heard about some of the principles and thought, no, you know what, I've been there, done that, I under, already know these cultural principles, so I, I resisted it for a couple of years. And then finally I read it because I thought, well, I should at least know, and it blew my mind. And honestly, in the 
tens of thousands of hours I've spent in this field, this book is so helpful. Um, it just rises right to the top. So yeah. she takes some ideas that that you already know about, like uh, there's this principle in communication called high and low context, and that reflects how directly messages have to be relayed to be understood. So um, in a really high context culture, a lot is just, it's not said. And so people are listening for what you're not saying, and they're actively reading between the lines. And in a low context culture, we're the, the U.S. is the lowest context culture in the world, according to Aaron Meyer's research. Mm -hmm. And a, as a contrast, the Japanese are the highest context culture in the world. So if a U.S. person and a Japanese person are communicating, um, the Japanese person may truly expect that whatever we want to, that, that, uh, that what we say is just the tip of the iceberg about what we're trying to communicate. So they're listening and they may hear messages that we don't intend to relay at all. And by contrast, if we're speaking to Japanese people and they don't tell us something, or even if they say the exact opposite of what they mean, we're never going to pick up on it. Yeah. And then we might feel deceived when we find out that what they said is the opposite of what they mean. And so she sort of unpacks that dynamic. Wow. Um, but what's so helpful is, so the one big principle is that, you know, she says, for all these years, we have just labeled cultures as that culture is low context, that culture is high context. And she said, but really those labels mean nothing until you compare the, your own culture and that culture, because maybe, um, maybe let's say Germans are, um, are, are, high, are, um, low context culture, uh, low context communicating culture by and large, but compared to us, they are a little higher context. So yeah. you have to, and we're both Germans and, and Americans are at the way end of the scale pretty much together, but the Germans are a little, little less direct than we are. So she, that's one thing that you always have to compare yourself to another culture to even have any sense of what you're talking about. Um, but, and then she has an online tool where you can do that, which is kind of cool. So wow. we'll talk about that more, but, but the, what's really neat is that then she takes other ideas like uh, the directness of negative feedback. And yeah. she says, for example, even though Americans are really, uh, direct communicators in many areas of life, when it comes to feedback and giving negative feedback, Americans really are uncomfortable with direct negative feedback. Yeah. And then, and she's, she's, again, you have to compare it to other cultures, but she's like, so how do you communicate if you're basically a direct communicator, but not with negative feedback? So when she starts unpacking all that, then you realize I've had students who have said, oh my goodness, for years, my feelings have been hurt every time I interact with the culture that I'm trying to serve um, and something comes up, I feel skewered and insulted. And now I realize that that's just a dynamic of how we deliver negative feedback. Hmm. Um, and so it's just very, very helpful. But there are other, she has eight scales. One is direct and indirect communication. Another has to do specifically with negative feedback. There's one about leading, and um, that's kind of what we would think of as power distance that people have heard of, I'm sure, many times, but she repackages that in a really helpful way. 
deciding whether decisions are made by consensus or by um, just like the person at the top. That's one of her scales. She has um, time. We've all talked about time and event orientation if you've been in any kind of cultural training at all, but she kind of repackages that and then task and relationship as the basis of trust. But all of these things are placed on on scales where you have to compare your your culture to another culture. So here's what we're going to do for the workshop. Yeah, we're going to go through her scales and uh, kind of unpack them a little more. And we're going to get into to groups and have some activities to experiment with them and then debrief. So it'll be on Zoom, but we'll break out into breakout groups. And I really think this is going to work. I've done breakout groups with others and and it's worked out well. Sounds the good. The thing is that it would be much more helpful to the participants if they read the book ahead of time. And also possibly if they go online and use her mapping tool so that they come to the class with an idea of where the cultures that they're interested in land on those scales. It's like $3.95 for a one day access. Okay. And then the book is available on Kindle and audiobook and, and everything. So. And now we're not, we're, we're not requiring that as a, prerequisite like you have to read the book but it's just a recommendation that it would help through discussions we'd get more out of it um it's not required and i know that there will be people um, participating who have not been able to read the book but i will also tell you that it can be really motivating to read a book to be prepared to wrestle it out with other people we're we're motivated generally speaking by interaction yes um in processing what we learned. So um, this is just a good opportunity to do that. And the other benefit of having read the book ahead of time is that you can come to the uh, workshop with specific examples from your own ministry that you can share with people and maybe get some feedback and some insight about. So I would encourage people to participate in the workshop, uh, to bring others with you and to read the book ahead of time. It's an easy and and pleasant read. So Great. Not a heavy academic kind of thing. It's you'll find it very practical. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Dr. Dury, for giving us a quick overview of the culture map. We're excited to learn more about this topic and how it applies in our individual context during your upcoming workshops, which will be held on Wednesday, the 19th and um, Saturday, August 22nd. And more information about these workshops with Dr. Drury will be sent out via email and through our Facilitator M Facebook group. So we hope that you'll plan to join us in August. And until next time, take care and God bless.